Welcome to Southern New Hampshire University's Social Sciences podcast, Agents of Change. Here we invite students and professionals to chat with us on topics of inclusion and diversity, student success, and their learning experiences. In this podcast, we will hear insights and personal accounts of people who have persisted against the odds and impacted positive social change. Join us as we learn how we can all be positive agents of change. To the podcast. I am your host for this episode, Dr. Hector Garcia. During this special edition podcast episode, we will discuss the original and historic Million Woman March held on October 25th, 1997 in Philadelphia. This event brought together and celebrated Black and African women from around the world. The movement's director, Dr. Philae Shinosu, joins us today as part of a special Southern New Hampshire University Social Sciences Student Minority Group event celebrating Black History Month. We'd like to extend a special welcome to our guest, Dr. Filet, the originator and CEO of the original Million Woman March and Universal Movements. Thank you for being here with us today, Dr. Filet. And greetings. Good afternoon to you. And thank you for having me. Great. Now, this is a special edition's new led podcast event. Therefore, we are very privileged to have with us our special guest interviewer today. Southern New Hampshire University's own student, Trixie Lamel, who also serves as vice chair of the Social Sciences Global Black History Committee. And she has lined up some excellent questions for Dr. Filet regarding the importance and impact of the Hesleyan Woman March. So, Trixie, great to have you here. The show is now in your hands. Take it away. Thank you, Dr. Garcia. And welcome, Dr. Filet. I'm glad to meet you. Um, I want to say... Sister Empress Chi, that's what you're known as, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, and you are the recipient of the 1998 Chairs Award from the Congressional Black Caucus, the Drum Major Award from the Martin Luther King Nonviolence Organization, and the Founder and President General of the National Million Women March and Universal Movement. Dr. Filet, your studies include African history, metaphysics, pre-law for over 30 years, 30 years. You have fought for Black and African justice, equality, and liberation, and you continue that fight as an active educator, focusing on global Black and African community and village work, activism, and human rights on the world, mostly women right? Uh, one of the largest gathering of women. And today we discuss what the movement's creator, Dr. Filet, her mission and the steps she has taken to set the Million Women March apart from other movements to ensure long tip, longevity and progress. Additional Dr. Filet will share with us upcoming events, projects, and programs, including an international independent plan for positive change and the We Charge Genocide 21 project, 
and how you can be a part, you can be a part of the first global movement for women and girls of African descent. Dr. Filet, so glad to have you here. It's an honor to have you with us today as we celebrate Black History Month through Bl Global Black History. And I have to say, we cannot discuss global Black history or Black culture without discussing grassroots movements and organizations. And both of these things are ingrained in the Black and African diaspora. And you are the founder of one of the most significant movements in the latter half of the 20th century, the historic Million One Man March. Please <laughs> you tell us about the movement's mission. Wow. Well, again, thank you for having me. And it, it's so wonderful to be able to share this information with you and your listeners. Um, you know, the Milan March is in interesting in many ways. Uh, it has been called a social phenomenon. And it is that because of many reasons, because how it was organized, the fact that it not only made what some call black history or African-American history, but also women's history and world history. Uh, unfortunately, we did not uh, get the kind of recognition that something of that caliber would normally get. But living in America, we are kind of used to being pushed to the side or discarded and things of that nature. And then oftentimes our history is plagiarized or even misrepresented in many ways. And so when this happened with the Million Women March, it kind of was a surprise, but then at the same time, we knew how to uh, recuperate and to make sure that we bring this movement forward. Um, 1997 was the tail end of the 20th century. And so the Million Woman March is indeed etched in stone because it happened in 1997. And so um, it is the largest gathering in the world for the 20th century, period. And so the mission is many things. Uh, it, it is so much to talk about. But to say that making certain that what has happened to our ancestors is well understood and not only well understood, but is also recognized in a way where justice can, in fact, prevail. You cannot enslave a people and, and then have them legally um, in servitude for over 250 years and then think that something should not happen to not only recognize that, but to make sure that those people, those descendants uh, can in fact become whole, can in fact restore, can in fact heal. And so the Million Woman March knew that then. Uh, how did we know? Because I have been studying African history. And let me also say this, that it's not black and African. It's black slash African. And the only reason why we say and do that is because when we say black, a lot of times folks sometimes only want to focus on African-American. And so black for us means African diasporic. The entire uh, disbursement of our people throughout the world. And our homeland, our motherland is Africa. But when we say black, we're referring to it as a whole. And so 
as, as time goes on, a lot of these things will be differentiated uh, in such a way that people will know when you hear the word black, you will not be confused or you will not uh, try to separate it from the fact that we are African. Got it. So part of the the mission of the Million Women March was that to to bring out that uh, that knowledge that we're not separating. Or how, what was that goal that you had there when you when when you came in in 1997 and said, "Hey, let's I have this this thing I want to do this this big big thing I want to do." Um, were, were you uniting us or like what? what oh, were absolutely, your absolutely. I mean, the first phase to me of anything fundamental is know thyself, and and any people that do not connect themselves to their original kind of uh, a habitat or location. Um, and, and I don't really believe anyone does that. I mean, all of the peoples that I study, uh, in fact, make reference to their origin from whence they come originally, even though they may have traveled the world. And so unfortunately, because our situation here in America in particular is very different from most in that we're the only people, particularly in North America, that was literally kidnapped and brought into this land. So the kinds of things that normally go with the people uh, in terms of history, in terms of, you know, just just the other kinds of things, the traditions and so forth, we weren't given that opportunity. So again, the Million Women March was perhaps fundamentally to make certain that it was understood that we were and are of African descent. Now, of course, there were 10 platform issues, and those 10 platform issues also included independent education for our children and for our people, to examine mass incarceration what that really is, what it really represented and why. We also looked at issues that dealt with health and certainly violence and abuse of our women and girls. Now, a lot of the platform issues focused initially on what was going on here in North America. But of course, we were always focused on the diaspora. That became obvious when our keynote speaker uh, entered the stage or came on the stage, and that was, of course, Winnie Mandela. And so it's obvious, again, that we were not just focusing on what was going on here in the U.S., but certainly connecting uh, what we call the black dots globally. Thank you. Yeah, and and I know that Winnie uh, Mandela is a, a big person. And, you know, th- that reminds me of the movements from the, the 70s that we had. When I look back at grassroots movements and organizations from earlier years, especially the 70s to now, I noticed that people are still organizing for similar causes, you know, and that's to meet the needs of the, of the community, like you said, um, you know, all the things that we came to, to understanding and, and and connecting the community. So I'm wondering, how does the Million Women March and Universal Movements 
differ from other movements when it comes to accomplishing the goals of meeting the needs of the Black slash African diaspora? Well, the Million Woman March is different in many regards. Again, being grassroots, starting from the grassroots, but making certain that we encompass tradition. And what we mean by that is I literally took the time to meet with uh, various people from previous movements. Uh, Stokely Carmichael, for example, also known as Kwame Ture. Certainly I've sat with Minister Louis Farrakhan and, and you know, uh, Dr. Dorothy Height. You know, and so it was important to, again, connect those dots. Now, remember, the U.S. was very similar in terms of struggle for justice as it was for South Africa, also known as Azania in that Azania, South Africa, was known for its apartheid uh, practices. Well, interestingly enough, the U.S. also had something similar to apartheid, where Black folks here in America, African people here in America, could not go certain places. You could not uh, even look at people who were Caucasian, European, known as white, you couldn't even look at them in the face during a certain period of time. You could not sit in a restaurant. You could not sit on the bus. You could not do hardly anything. And then particularly for 250 years, you couldn't do anything unless you were told that you could, that you were allowed to do it. And so this is what was also going on in South Africa, but of course, in the 1940s, 50s, and so forth, it became more well known uh, because you know te television, radio, and other things made it easier for you to see these types of degradation and, and mistreatment and inhumane practices. And so here in the U.S., we identified with that because we had just gone through the 50s and the 60s where civil rights was of course the call of the day. And so there was an immediate connection uh, knowing that black people, African people in the US was fighting for civil rights, the, the, the right to be able to do various things that everyone else was able to do. Yet we building a, a, a very key apparatus in building America, uh, literally, blood, sweat, and tears, uh, had none of the rights that would go with the people who had con done those kinds of things, contributed those kinds of things. And so again, here you are in South Africa in a land that had a people where a people came in, took the land, and then controlled everything uh, therein. And so again, there was a very similar connection. The Mia Women March had recognized these struggles uh, again in South Africa, but here for uh, at least 250 years that we could literally document. Actually, it was 400 plus years, but again, from a historical perspective, we were literally able to see the various types of documents that allowed us to really critique, examine, and then know what to do uh, in regards to addressing some of these maladies. And so, Again, the Million Woman March mission uh, very much was a part to continue uh, the work, to continue uh, the vision 
of, of many of those who have come before us, many who literally gave their lives uh, to make certain that we were able to proceed in a way that was to advance us. And so unfortunately over the past maybe 10, 20 years, something has happened. The focus on do for self has become somewhat watered down. Uh, this was a very important uh, area for us as a people. Even we can uh, document as far as the 1900s, but certainly even before then. But we know the 1900s because we saw Tulsa. We saw Rosewood. All of these were self-sustaining communities, yet they were bombed, destroyed, burned, people were murdered because our people strive to be self-sufficient. And so that was a very important aspect of not only becoming emancipated physically, but also to be liberated holistically. And so that idea seems to kind of gotten pushed to the side somewhat because now so many of our people uh, are now looking at grants and corporate sponsoring and other things, which is fine, but there's less focus on us having our own without being connected to these other systemic kinds of things that historically have been a major part in enslaving us. So the Million Women March made yeah. certain that that area of our justice initiative, of, of our freedom initiatives was clear. We started out with self-determination and we remain today in that same mode of operations. And you bring up a good point because you were talking about what you've seen, especially in South Africa and other grassroots movements and how over the last 20 years, 25 years actually, you've been studying how things are working and studying liberating, uh, finding a system, a way to work the system. So let me recall, on October 25th, 1997, the Million Women March created and generated positive action and then 20 years later, you unified Black and African women throughout the diaspora by launching a million Black women rising, a program, 20th anniversary, wasn't it? Um, yes. And so now for the 25th anniversary, you're bringing us the first global movement for women and girls of African descent worldwide. And this is a continuation from 2022, it went down. So uh, that was when your 20 five-year anniversary went down. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at a continuation of you uplifting and empowering Black and African women. I want you to share with us, I would love for you to share with us mm -hmm. um, the upcoming events that you have going on and how members of the audience can be a part of those events and programs that you have coming in the future to help liberate and 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 get the justice. So so again, you know, when we say black, let us also say Africana women. Uh, that way it also lends to us defining ourselves. And the other thing too is that we have to make note, you know, in talking about the diaspora, 
we have to now look at things in a global kind of manner. And so the Million Woman March in 97, that was a part of the mission. You, you have to lay groundwork, though. When you're talking about building a movement, you have to kind of look well in advance. And, and I realized that when I began to study other movements. The Honorable Marcus Garvey started something in the early 1900s, and it was absolutely incredible, particularly for that time period. Now, I looked to see what happened because they accomplished was so much in such a short period of time. But what I realized was you have to be careful with that because oftentimes you're not able to really see the longevity of something when it builds quickly. But then unfortunately, uh, the way America is structured, you oftentimes are not able to continue it. So in realizing that the Million Woman March started out in such a way that we knew we could grow, develop. And that was, again, the intention. So it was always intended to be a movement. But the strategy was and still is always connect to the grassroots first. Because if we do not do that, then we kind of fall into uh, an area like most do, and it leaves a segment of the people um, not able to have as much access to the development of the movement. And we saw that happen with other types of movements, uh, including the NAACP and other, other groups that, you know, focus on civil rights. Uh, but at the same time, other than in the South, and particularly after the 1960s, the connectivity to the masses of the people in our communities uh, tend to kind of diminish. And it is as such even today. And or there's only a segment of the people that it will appeal to. The Million Woman March was designed to make certain that we could appeal and not only appeal, but connect, reach all of our people, particularly our women. But again, from all walks of life, all religions, political uh, uh, arenas, uh, economic status, education, that those things were not to be of any great significance. The key thing was to be of African descent, loving our people and wanting to see our, us advance as a people. And so doing that, I realized or, or, or going into that, I realized I had to kind of find something that would really connect us. And so, as you mentioned, at our 20 year anniversary, that's when we really began to launch the universal movements of the Million Woman March, but also connected us to what I call raising up the mother of civilization. With that type of focus, that is something that is undeniable and undebatable. To say the mother of civilization, well, Historically, biologically, archaeology, in archaeology, there's no getting around who all would agree is considered the mother of civilization. What continent, what people, or shall we say, what woman? Because based on everything that we have up to this point, the oldest remains has truly shown us that it was that of 
a black woman, a highly melanated woman. And so as such, we now claim it. Uh, we're the mother of civilization, meaning the black woman, the African woman is indeed the mother of civilization. That in fact connects us like none other. So while other areas of things tend to maybe divide us, separate us or whatever, that is something we know we can all grasp, celebrate and advance from. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and so with that, I know that you um, have mentioned you have uh, We Charge Genocide 21 project. Yes. Um, and you're looking at uh, a focus on reparations, restitutions, uh, retributions, and I say restoration. Yes. And so I just got a word in that we have a caller. Uh, yes, I'm here, Trixie. Thank you. Nice to meet you, General Parker. Um, if you could briefly introduce herself, yourself, and you have a question for Dr. Fillet. Hi, Dr. Fillet. It is an honor to to be here with you and to hear you speak. And after hearing some of the things you said, I had a couple of quick questions that I just needed to get out. Uh, I heard that Winnie Mandela showed up to speak. And I think I read somewhere where Sister Soldier and Jada Pinkett Smith were in attendance there too. So if you can tell me how many were there in attendance at the 1997 event, I need to know as a black man, you know, especially after hearing earlier about how your accomplishments and how the, the Million Women March, and I still need to know how many were there in attendance, uh, was so marginalized. And I know that happens to us as black people. Uh, let me know what I, as a black man and other black men can do to help support the Million Women March. Oh, thank you, General Parker. Um, let me just say this for, for everyone that might not hear the correct pronunciation of, uh, of the organization of the movement. It's, it's Million Woman, which is W-O-M-A-N. And I say that because over the years, we've had different entities to try to, uh, shall we say, du not, if not duplicate, really confuse people. Um, our agenda is very specific. It's, it's relatively transparent. Uh, we focus on African women, Black women and girls, primarily, and then, of course, simultaneously, our people as a whole. Uh, we are very unapologetic about that. And so, you know, we don't want to be meshed in or mixed in with anything or anyone else. Uh, that is because, again, we're the only people in North America who were literally kidnapped and brought into this land. And so with the We Charge genocide, we have to make that position very clear. You cannot go into the United Nations, which I've been involved in for uh, at least, I would say now, seven years. You can't proceed in certain arenas with there being too much uh, confusion or ambiguity about who you are, what you're representing. And so knowing that our history in this land is like none other, of course, there are indigenous peoples and 
is some of them were also African, but we make reference to specifically those who were kidnapped and brought here. This is very distinct. This is the peculiar institution. This is a type of slavery or enslavement like none other. And so we cannot allow others to mix in uh, other agendas or other whatever. And so, again, I make it very clear. Uh, we work with, with anyone that deals with justice, uh, self-determination, things of that nature. But our mission and goal is very specific. So the We Charge Genocide is, is wow, where do I even start with that? For those who are not familiar, in the 1800s, there was a black woman, an African woman, by the name of Callie House. And Callie started something called the Ex-Slave Compensation uh, Campaign. Well, that's in the 1800s, right after so-called emancipation. To fast forward, you then had another black woman named Queen Mother Moore, born in Louisiana. In 1958, Queen Mother Moore took a petition to the United Nations again, de demanding reparations for enslavement of African people. Now, in 1951, the great Paul Robeson took a petition to the United Nations, and it was literally called We Charge Genocide. While he took it to New York, to the United Nations, his um, collaboration with William Patterson, who was also a lawyer, he took it to Paris, France. Now, remember, for those that do not know, Paul Robeson, this is Black History Month, Paul Robeson was also a lawyer. So he was not only a well-known actor, vocalist, athlete, he was also a lawyer. Fast forward again, 1964, Malcolm X went to Africa. He addressed a body known as the African Union. And in doing so, he raised the issue of human rights violations against African people in North America, black people in North America. And so in addressing those issues, again, from the 1800s to present day, because you have others, Imari Obadeli, uh, Dr. Yusuf Klee, Dr. Robert Brock. These are all pioneers in presenting the issues of self-determination, Black human rights violations, and of course, genocide. So learning about these great advances for social justice, and not just social justice, but justice, period, Million Women March knew that we had to be a catalyst in bringing forward these types of initiatives and advancements. Because when you read what Paul Robeson and William Patterson did in 1951, taking hundreds of names, ages, location, types of brutality, the hangings, the beatings, they took this information to the United Nations in 1951 no internet, no uh, hardly, you know, telephone, faxing, all of that. And so that's, that's there's so much information going on here um, with the recharge, we charge genocide. And you're bringing that back. You're bringing back the whole, um, 
what began back then in the 50s is now here in the 21st century through your movement, the Million Women, Women, let's get it right, people, the Million Women March. We're bringing it back in the 21st century. So so just for a point of clarity as to why the Million Women March is, in fact, so incredible, 2.5 million it is estimated attended. And even though the media uh, said something like 500,000, the University of Pennsylvania did a uh, diagnostical study, aerial study, and they came up, the mathematics department came up with the 2.5 million. Um, uh, also, how people, particularly our brothers, but definitely our sisters, can support, because this year, of course, we are hosting the first global assembly for African women worldwide, the Million Women World March is going to take place in October in three continents. And of course, our men are definitely important as they were in 97, because over a thousand black men helped in providing security. Nice. Of course, our men are important. And and I was going to get to that. Uh, you have a website, right? Can you give us that website really quick? Well, the website is actually under construction, although they can go, go to the We Charge Genocide website, which is uh, www.wechargegenocide21. And it's important that you make sure that you, for us, it's 21, because there are several We Charge Genocide uh, pieces out there, but we are the We Charge Genocide 21, and that is because we have 21 areas of crimes against humanity that we cite. Also, we're in the 21st century, and so yeah. these are the, the kind of ways that we make certain that we're able to not only market brand, but make people clear about who we are. Nice. So we will have all that information, but we're going to have more information because I love speaking with you and I want you to come back next month is women's history month. Yes. And you, I mean, you have to have the, the, the creator and founder of the million woman March back again. So much, so much information, so much education. We thank you so much, Dr. Filet. Deeply appreciate you sharing your voice, your legacy, and this piece of ongoing global Black history with us. We appreciate you and we thank you. And this is one quick thing I need to share. We are now on a mission to obtain at least a million members. Again, this is so important. And so for more information, they can email us at nationalmwm at aol.com. Again, nationalmwm at aol.com. And we also have a weekly radio broadcast. And so feel free to share that information as well. Thank you so much. I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Garcia. Well, what, what can I say, Trixie? Dr. Filet, this has been a rare privilege to actually hear from you what went down on that historic day, the origins, all of the great figures that you mentioned in history, their contributions, and of course, your work and continued work. I'm really interested in these activities that are coming up in the fall, and mm -hmm. we certainly would love to have you back here. So on behalf of Southern New Hampshire University Social Sciences, 
agents of change. We definitely send our heartfelt appreciation and thanks for your appearance today. But we would be remiss if we didn't thank our social sciences minority student group, of which Trixie is the vice chair, and in particular, the Global Black History Committee that works so diligently to produce and coordinate this special edition podcast. Dr. Filet, these were the students who designed this podcast. They set all the format. All I did was just kind of record it for them. So we want to thank them so much and you for being here and sharing this rich history with us. We wish you continued success in your future endeavors, and we certainly hope to see you again here in the future. So for Agents of Change, this is Dr. Hector Garcia, and I was your host for this special edition episode. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Southern New Hampshire University's Agents of Change, a social sciences podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us, and be on the lookout for more exciting episodes. Goodbye for now.